Wait a minute. SeatGeek. Do you work for these guys? He's the sponsor of today's video, and that's SeatGeek. Yes, SeatGeek! Guys, today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. SeatGeek. <laughs> Call SeatGeek. 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 Wait, you've done 2,231 creator deals? You know, I, I wanted to bring you on here. Obviously, I get this question a lot of just like, how do you price brand deals? But before we get to that, I think there's like just some some rudimentary questions that I want to ask. And I think that the one that just pops in my head that, you know, I think I think about a lot is like, what what have you seen, you know, now being at SeatGeek for a long, as long as you have and doing all these deals? Like, what are the mistakes that creators are making? There's a lot of things because there's like this this information asymmetry, right? You know, things that the creator's not thinking about. And so that puts this weird disadvantage to the creator versus the brand, especially if they don't have management. Ultimately, it comes back to me is, is what are you giving up? And that depends a lot on what category the creator is in, right? So if you're a financial services creator, that financial partner is going to be a massive category for you. So when you go into any negotiation where a brand is like, I want to work with you, you need to understand one, how important is that category? And two, how much are they taking away of potential other revenue? So is it, am I exclusive? Do they have my usage rights? Those kind of things really play a massive role in you foregoing future opportunities because you agreed to this deal now. Okay, so I've seen you put out this tweet before and I actually love that you put it out, but you talked a little bit about how a brand actually gets to a creator and all the people that can kind of fit themselves in between the brand and the creator. Can you talk a little bit about that tweet that you put out? Because I thought it was so spot on, by the way, and I'll, I'll, I'll put a picture of it here so people can see it. Right, so there's like this, there's so many people in the middle where a brand will have an agency do deals on their behalf and that agency is gonna take a certain percentage of what they book. And then often there's another person, there's like a marketing agent, right? There's someone who says they represent Jimmy, but doesn't really represent Jimmy. He's actually reaching out to you and saying, hey, can I pass this deal along and take a cut? And then there's Reed, and then there's somebody else, and then there's Jimmy. And so in between, so much information is both lost and so much money is given to these people in the middle. Somebody reaches out and say, hey, this brand wants to work with you. You have to know that that person reaching out is taking some sort of financial compensation to bring you that deal. The first question you should ask when someone says, hey, I represent so-and-so is, are you exclusive? And that's wow. kind of, you know, the thing that I've used over the last five years is like, we are exclusive and I'm going to go to all these people, all these brands and let them know. There's a lot of like, say you start with $100,000, the brand is like, we want to spend $100,000 on X creator. There's probably 30 to 40K that is gone just through like intermediaries, third parties before it even like gets to a manager. Right. And then now obviously the manager is going to take their cut. So I just thought it was a, it was an interesting tweet that you put out, but it was so spot on. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Agencies and management play a massive role in understanding it. What do you negotiate with creators who don't have managers? Like if you're, so you say you do a lot of small deals, I would imagine a lot of those creators don't have management and they're negotiating their own deals or don't have an agent. Right. A lot of them don't have, don't have management. Um, used to be much more prevalent. Like when I started doing this five years ago, you'd be talking to 17, 18 year old kids who like their mom was the one who was signing the contract. And when I talk about like you could take, I could see a lot of brands and they do it, take advantage of these situations. What you see with some of these brands is you're giving up your, your content rights in perpetuity. You're exclusive to the brand forever. And those are crazy, crazy clauses to add into deals that basically takes advantage of the fact that you're working with 
a creator who doesn't have a manager or who hasn't done a ton of different deals. Do you find it easier to negotiate direct with a creator or if there's actually a manager and an agent in place? It's always easier for me to go direct to the talent and you deal with someone like David or someone like even Jimmy, I bet, they'll come up with an idea and need funding for it as soon as possible. I wanted to maybe get myself a Ferrari and I wanted to see if you guys could help. I'm gonna probably get one, an amazing ad because this creator is so jacked up to do it. Two, it's probably gonna outpunch its weight. I'm probably gonna get a relative discount because I can move that fast. It's the closest game of telephone you can get, the brand and the content creator. Okay, I can get you the other half. Where are you guys seeing the most value right now? Instagram, like I'm sure you've experimented on TikTok. I don't know if you guys have experimented on Twitter over the years, but are you seeing the most value on YouTube? Yeah, I I just think if you're in the game of, um, I wanna get people to actually download an app to really hear my ad, to, to buy tickets, there's nothing stronger than long form content. Because if you're willing to watch a Mr. Beast video, you care about him, you care about his content, you're kind of along for the ride. I don't think there's another place right now you can spend your money more effectively. And because it's so niche oriented. So for us, like we work with the guy who breaks down LA Lakers film, like that's his thing. He gets 200,000 views a video, 300,000 views a video, but every single person I know is a sports fan. That is a massively important audience for us. And I can only really get that on YouTube. So I'd say, you know, 95% of our spend right now is on YouTube. And then there's like 2% podcasts and 2% Twitch because we just started working with Nick Merckx. But like, that's about it. Yep. I saw that. And then how are you guys... How are you guys thinking about pricing those deals? Like, are you pricing it based on the views per video? Are you pricing it based on like views per video? But if the ads at the three minute mark, we have to factor for like AVD fall off. Like how how are you guys thinking about this pricing structure internally? The way I, I look at it is, okay, how many sales do we need to do to make this deal work? And then you gotta look at that creator, look at their content. So if it's a mainstream creator like Mr. Beast or David or Cody Ko, they're gonna sell tickets to everything can't get the scale like you're going to get there anywhere else on on YouTube. The pricing was a little different in that I can be a little bit more aggressive in sports because I know everyone in that audience cares, especially if it's NFL, because I know it's not international. But um, yeah, there's different ways we think about pricing. The best deals don't make sense on a CPV basis. And I say that with a disclaimer. So like the hardest thing right now would be if you want to go sponsor a mega, a top tier creator, the, pray, the barrier to entry is so incredibly high. So for instance, Cody Co. We started working with Cody three or four years ago. Cody's rate was a fraction of what it is now. His views were less, his audience was younger. Listen, I've worked with SeatGeek for a long time and I'm stoked that they're sponsoring my channel again. We're back. And as we've risen up, the cost per view has gone up exponentially, but so has his results. Yeah, without question. The one thing I've noticed about you guys too is like, it's not usually a one-off deal. Like when SeatGeek usually gets involved with the creator, it's there's follow-on deals. They're talking about it probably once every couple months, especially the Cody Co example. They feel like full-fledged SeatGeek endorsers now. Are there, do you guys build exclusivity into most of those contracts? I'd imagine the long-term ones, but are you building exclusivity into like the shorter term test uh, contracts yeah. that you're doing with creators? The way you get to scale in creators, both for creators, I believe, and for brands is long-term deals. If you're constantly trying to hustle for new partners all the time, it puts a lot of stress both on the brand and the and the creator. So the last thing I wanted to, to ask you is, if you look at SeatGeek's marketing spend over the last five years, like 
what what's the percentage allocation to influencer marketing and like has it exponentially increased on a macro level creators are more expensive than ever there's all these new entrants to the space one like coinbase you know but there's also these massive blue chip companies that are coming in that are spending up in the fintech category and crypto and gambling affects all of our sports creators that are pushing rates up across the board and the reason is if you're a brand there's not very many places you can put your money right now that you think people are actually listening. If you want to go do a TV commercial, if you want to go do an out-of-home campaign, you can do it. But ultimately, like when you look at yourself in the eyes, you know that you have a chance to integrate directly with someone's favorite creator, and you're going to put your money there. Is how SeatGeek has become a, a household brand amongst Gen Z is because of our spend. So I'd say we're at like 30%, 30 to 40% of our spend right now is on influencers. Yeah, you guys double down as a, as we're seeing with most brands in this space, and you kind of you made the comment like inventory is also an issue right now. It seems like such an issue. Creators are posting less. YouTube no longer like incentivizes daily uploads, and so as creators have figured that out, they've scaled the amount of videos back. The video views per video have also gone up because I think more people are flooding into YouTube to watch content. And then you said like there's people coming into this space spending a lot of money on a per video basis. And then now that's the expectation that you guys need to come up to. So I, I totally understand. I totally agree. I had a creator tell me yesterday they didn't have availability till July 2022. And I said, excuse me, is this the world I'm living in where I'm buying like ads for a year later? And if you think about it, though, well, if they're that booked out, brands must really be seeing success there. And so ultimately, and I also think creators are really, for Mr. For Mr. Beast, obviously your guys' bar is so high that it's hard to come out with videos, but also creators are starting to prioritize, hey, maybe I don't need to do eight videos in a week. Both of those happen where there's now, inventory is hard to get, but it's also very hard for me to say, a year from now, I'm gonna do an ad. So you didn't do the deal? No, I'm going to do the deal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna do the deal, it's like, it's like hearing something's exclusive and you're like, well, I gotta have a taste now. I gotta figure out what this is. I, I'd also argue potentially if you're selling that far in advance, your rate is probably gonna go up between that. Like you, if you wanna be the most aggressive, you'd sell Q1 and Q2, but let's not sell Q3 yet. We have to know what our value prop is and bluntly SeatGeek's not gonna be the most money, but we will have the tightest ad in the Mr. Beast video possible. We are gonna move as quick as possible on reviews. Like you have to know I think it's really important, particularly for brands to know like what value you're bringing to the space. If you're a big blue chip brand that has the budget, it's we're going to overpay for a deal or pay more than than SeatGeek will. But I'm going to review the video. Every every little bit has to be, you know, approved by my three lawyers and whatever. SeatGeek can't be that. SeatGeek has to be we're going to be quicker than everyone else and we're going to be easier to work with. I think understanding your value prop is is really, really important for brands. Totally agree. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I, I know this is going to be super helpful for a lot of creators that watch this uh, watch this podcast and talk about like, how do I price brand deals? Who should I be talking to? I'll put your email down below so everyone can reach out to you to get deals from Seeky. <laughs> but I appreciate I appreciate you talking about this. Uh, thanks, man. Fun to be on. <laughs>